Welcome to Bird Shit. It's Mo and Sarah. It's Mo and Sarah. You're listening to Bird Shit. In case you didn't believe it, we're actually recording an episode. Yeah, it's come as a shock to us as well that we're awake at 9 p.m. Oh my gosh. Yeah, this is usually when I've already brushed my teeth. Like I'm usually winding down. Oh, dude, I so we're out of snacks in our house. Oh, and no. I was really, yeah. So I had to eat a little like nut pack that has like two squares of chocolate in it. And I am slowly eating the nuts and I ate this two squares of chocolate right away. You better go get another one and eat the chocolate out of it. Yeah, Jake will know, but I don't Shh. care. How about birds? How about the birds in your life? Have you seen birds? 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 <laughs> I have seen 6,572 robins. Oh, okay. That's a good count. Yes. That's maybe a slight exaggeration, but it's literally the only bird in my neighborhood, except for a wandering peregrine falcon who we saw in my neighbor's front yard. I assume it's from, because they nest in downtown Detroit. Was We're not like too far from that, but... Okay. Um. Yeah, so that was uh, like a really cool see on our dog walk. We saw him, and then I think when then we, I saw him again. So he's he's just kind of hanging out in our neighborhood sometimes. How about you? So we went to Florida, and I I like we haven't been to Florida in a minute. I I like suddenly realized why people moved to Florida because I was like, holy shit, there's so many amazing birds here. Like I didn't really understand it before. And now I'm like, oh no, this is why. Like we went to this preserve with our friends, saw Sam like out of nowhere. He's like, hey, there's an owl up there. Boom, great horned owl. Turned around, prothonotary warbler. And thank God we were with our friends because we just stopped paying attention to Sloan like 100%. And she was like running down the trail. And we were like, sorry guys, we got to ID this warbler. And I'm so glad that we did. So they chased after our kid and we ID'd the bird. And it was like amazing. We had a really good time seeing birds in Florida. It kind of like got me excited about migration season because yes, we were actually seeing birds that are cool not that the birds here aren't cool in the winter but like you get a really kind of done with it so then today we were like oh let's go for a hike and so we're like driving to our hike well despite the fact that the city has been telling us about this road closure for like a month we were kind of like ignored it because we're like oh we never take that road well we were going to try and take that road that road didn't work out so then sam's like oh look there's an audubon center right here why don't we just go to this audubon center so went to the audubon center and it was so cool we saw like 20 22 different species of birds there except we didn't have binoculars because we weren't planning to go birding so i was like who the fuck shows up at an audubon like conservatory without binoculars oh how about the person that says bird shit on their license plate like i felt really inexperienced and really dumb or are you so experienced you don't even need binoculars? You're well, just- this is the thing. We we did a lot by sound. We did a lot by um, sound ID, the Merlin, the Merlin yeah. bird sound ID. But we did see a lot. And we even like identified an American kestrel just from like watching its behavior and like judging on the size oh, and like they're stuff. They're fun to watch. They're so much fun to watch. So it ended up being cool. So it it's the first time I'd been to the main Audubon Um which I feel kind of lame about that because it's really close to my house. I didn't realize how close it was. So I feel like a bad birder, but then I also feel like a good birder. So it's been, it's been good for birds, good for me and the birds. And I'm excited about them. Yeah. 
<sighs> well, kicking off this episode, uh, I thought that it, we should take a second to um, talk about our most recent episode, uh, The Birds of Australia and New Zealand. We did get some feedback about that that we do want to quickly address before we get into the content of today's podcast. We did our best. I, I promise we did our best to find some pronunciation guides online and either like I'm a boomer and I'm really bad at Google or I just don't know what I'm searching for. But we really missed the mark on a lot of these indigenous names. Uh, in particular, we want to apologize to the Maori. Oh, fuck. Now I can't. <laughs> yeah, it's Maori. Maori. Fuck. Okay. It's fine. I mean, I think this is just evidence that we I don't know how to pronounce shit. I, like, I don't think it's any secret that I don't know how to pronounce things. I probably talk, so I probably say that like once an episode, but also I've been thinking about this a little bit more. Like I definitely have these moments of my, my childhood speech impediment that like slip out. And this is not what happened. Like this was clearly just like a lack of diligence and we need to do better. But I like will notice it now. And like my boss kind of made fun of me the other day for like my speech impediment. I was like, well, I actually had a speech impediment. And she's like, oh no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Never noticed. Yeah, I know. It's just because I usually talk so fast. I just pretend like I said words correctly. But all this to say, we're going to do a better job moving forward. And we do apologize for mispronouncing everything. But on. Uh- On another unrelated housekeeping note, we are working hard to get episodes out to you and working on lining up some new interviews for the summer months too. So stay tuned for those. (gasps) Sarah, we get to sing our song. (gasps) One, two, three. Birds in the news. Birds in the news. Birds, 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 birds in the news. I feel like we went a little more songy with it that time because usually shrieking birds in the news so that our old version was like a punk pop song and this was more like a celine dion my heart will go on song oh i mean if she's the inspiration behind our singing i'm all right with that self-made billionaire all right she's probably a billionaire she's probably like a quadrillionaire okay i like that she's a singer and you called her like a (laughs) self-made I mean, she is. She like sang her way to a billion dollars. I know. It's self-sung billionaire. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's all I wanted. That's all I wanted. All right. I'll clarify. She sung her way to a billion dollars. Thanks. All right. So first up, since this episode is all about woodpeckers, you would know that if you read the episode title, but we haven't actually said that yet, but it is. It's about woodpeckers. We thought it would be pertinent to address a bird that's really taken over the birding news lately, the ivory-billed woodpecker. If you spend any amount of time on bird Twitter or talking to any birder right now, you're probably really overhearing about this story. However, since birds don't really make it in the news that much these days, we thought it was worth addressing this particular story. Plus, it also touches on a lot of themes that we've discussed on this podcast, including the importance of peer-reviewed research. Ivory-billed woodpeckers were once very common in the U.S., stretching from the Carolinas to the southeast part of Texas. As one of the largest woodpeckers in the U.S., they are pretty captivating. They have these uh, really distinctive red crests on the top of their heads, which actually I learned inspired Woody the woodpecker. And like every other woodpecker, it eats insects on the inside of trees. Like that's what it is. So what is up this bird? Well, the last verified sighting of the ivory-billed woodpecker was in 1944. 
despite being one of the first animals to be recognized by the Endangered Species Act in 1973, it was officially declared extinct in 2021. Apparently, that declaration sparked a team of researchers to trek out into an unknown part of Louisiana to see if they could find it. They set up trail cameras, brought in drones, and roamed around trying to document the presence of the ivory-billed woodpecker. It's also not the first time a birding frenzy has picked up after a possible ivory-billed woodpecker sighting. Teams of scientists and naturalists searched more than 523,000 acres across eight states back in 2004 and 2005 after a kayaker in Arkansas thought he saw one. But alas, all that searching and no definitive ivory-billed evidence was found. Until maybe now... While this possible rediscovery is pretty exciting, there are a lot of questionable things about the report that make it feel questionable. The evidence is pretty insufficient. They're not listing specific locations. They're saying that's for the best for the bird. The few documented photos they do provide are really blurry, taken at a distance, and nearly impossible to see any kind of identifying marks on. Uh, And perhaps most importantly, this report has not yet been reviewed by any credible scientific publications. The PDF online of the pre-reviewed report has been viewed like 33,000 times since it was posted like less than a month ago, meaning a lot of people had a chance to read it and scrutinize over both the report findings and its methods. What I find pretty frustrating about this, though, is that major news publications, including NPR and The Guardian, have picked up the story, which makes it a lot harder to shake this idea from the public mind that like maybe the ivory-billed woodpecker is not extinct. And I don't think those publications are really ones that lure people in with clickbait either. Like they're pretty credible and reliable. So it's tough now that they've sort of put this vision in the heads of readers that this thing is possibly not extinct. Yeah, but there is an amazing Twitter thread from Alexander Lease, L-E-E-S, that really sums up the reason why the ivory-billed woodpecker is unfortunately, realistically extinct. We'd all love to believe that it still exists, but there's a lot of circumstances and evidence that point to its likely extinction. Alex brings up a lot of good points, like how the ivory-billed woodpecker would have had to suddenly adapt to logged forest instead of old-growth forest, and there are countless bird species still trying to adapt to the impact of climate change. It's really hard to believe that a species with so few remaining individuals could adapt so quickly. All this to say, we don't personally believe that the bird is still in existence, and that makes us really sad, but we do have to try and be realistic. We do obviously destroy a shit ton of nature, and we hope that the the ivory-billed woodpecker is still out there, but we also hope that we as humans never see them so they can live in peace and just get on with their lives. But we are also really happy that Twitter is here to provide us with some great memes and one-liners about the whole scenario. I don't know, Mo, what do you think? Yay or nay on it? Oh, so. definitely a nay. <laughs> I think so too. And I, you know, the point that uh, I think he's a biologist at Auburn, Joffrey Hill made. I think it is a good one though, because like, you know, we're still finding new species. We're still discovering new things, but we still like have this belief that we like have s- such like peer view over the nature around us that if we haven't seen it, it doesn't exist. I didn't mm-hmm. spot this bird. But I mean, not seeing a bird for like, I don't know, 50 years plus years now and all of the destruction and they were hunted so much. I also have to believe they don't exist, but they I feel like this is going to become lore like Bigfoot soon. 
Oh, yeah. I think it already is. I mean, for what it's worth, I haven't seen the Woody the Woodpecker cartoon in like 50 years either. So it's even Listen. extinct on the Cartoon Network. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there we have another news article. And I really like this one. It's birds plus wine equals a good time, which I think that should be like t-shirts t-shirts plus also like my memoirs subtitle what's the title still working on it (laughs) (laughs) but i do have the subtitle wait i would actually love it if the title was still working on it (laughs) subtitle plus mine equals a good time My memoir is called A Work in Progress. (laughs) (laughs) Still working on it. (laughs) Anyways, we know that birds and wine are a good time. And also know that 1 billion pounds of pesticide used in the U.S. every year are contributing to the die-off of millions of birds. But one agricultural industry is finally starting to see that they can build a symbiotic relationship with birds to benefit both farmers and the birds. According to the Wine Industry Network, great network. Yeah, also, I love that I was talking about credible sources. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Wine Industry Network is such Dude, a credible source. It are, sounds credible, right? Yeah, they are credible. It's I also mean, not like scientific research. It's like they went around and talked to some people who own vineyards. Well, now you're getting ahead of the story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let, let me do my job here, please. <laughs> please do your job. I would okay. love that. Gotta emphasize again, this is according to the Wine Industry Network. We don't know if they're peer-reviewed. <laughs> <laughs> they all just like pop some cords and like, let's, let's review this week's edition of Wine <laughs> And then they go turn to your peer and talk about the wine. <laughs> Can we join the network? Is it open? Oh, I hope so. We need memberships for sure. Dude, sponsor us, please. I don't know if we can, I don't know if we can post sponsored stories. We have to disclaim that like, you know, we're affiliates with the wine industry network. If we start sharing their information. If I, if I could say that I'd put it on business cards. That should be baller. <laughs> what professional networks are you affiliated with? The wine industry network. <laughs> okay, we, All right, we gotta get to this friggin' story. Let's okay. read about it. All right, okay. let's do it. According to Win, grape growers. <laughs> oh, okay, go ahead. Grape growers are starting to recruit birds to help them reduce pesticide use while also providing both habitat and food for the birds. Vineyard managers are working with Audubon, California to attract owls and songbirds to keep insects and rodents away from the crops. Not only are they saving on fuel and labor costs, but they are drastically reducing the number of chemicals needed to grow their crops. Grape growers are now finding that owls are more efficient and equal-friendly rodent terminators than pesticides and traps, and one family of owls can eat up to 3,466 rodents per year on average, according to research. Back in 2007, one vineyard set up owl boxes and crossbars that acted as perches for red-tailed hawks. The impact was so significant, they are planning to double the number of owl boxes over the next two years. Peregrine falcons are also being used in Argentina to fed off grape-eating sparrows and other small birds. 
Overall, the impact is more habitats for birds, less pesticides on crops, and better wine for us. Cheers. That was your best sorority girl right there. Cheers. Cheers. I've always wanted to sign my email with that, but then I would feel like I'm being a British imposter, so I don't. And I still (laughs) use the line best. Oh, you're one of those. Oh, frick yeah, I am. It's just a shortened best regards. Deal with it, people. It's not passive. I don't even need to send you my regards. Just best. Best. (laughs) Bitch. Best bitches. (laughs) Sarah. Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, I love the story. I love any story that gives me hope about less pesticides, better symbiotic relationships between nature and people. And I feel like we fuck up so much of nature that the least we can do is like let owls eat our 3000 rodents that we attract to our crop lands. I don't know. No. Uh, cheers. Bitches. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The last article we have in birds of the news this month by month. I don't know. This this, this episode uh, is about the avian flu, which is really, really bad right now. A new bird flu strain, which likely came in from wild migratory birds uh, back in December, is killing off a ton of wild and domestic birds in North America right now. Some 24 million poultry birds, like turkeys and turkeys, have already been lost, either because they died from the virus or were likely killed to prevent its spread, which always sucks. But what are you going to do? Not raise chickens. I don't know if that's what we could do, but whatever. Um, Unlike the bird flu that happened back in 2014 and 15, though, this one is unlikely to burn itself out because it is now being found in wild birds as well. Even though the chickens and turkeys die off pretty quickly when they get sick, there are some waterfowl that could remain healthy with the virus and carry it really long distances. In just a few months, more than 40 different wild bird species and more than 30 states have tested positive for this strain of the bird flu. Crows, pelicans, and bald eagles have all been found carrying it. And the biggest concern right now is that so many wild birds are testing positive, which is not something like we saw the last time there was a big outbreak uh, about seven years ago. In Florida, more than 1,000 lesser scalp ducks have died because of the virus. In New Hampshire, 50 Canada geese were killed off in a single event. And wildlife experts have also seen massive die-offs of snow geese in the Great Plains states. They're also seeing scavenging species like bald eagles and black vultures getting sick from consuming infected carcasses, particularly of the waterfowl. So we're just going to keep our fingers crossed that this passes quickly. Things don't get worse. In the meantime, we're probably going to pay a lot for eggs, maybe become a vegan. You were at the zoo today and the Detroit Zoo has brought in all of their bird species to don't get avian flu from wild birds. Um, And we took down our bird feeders too. Yeah, I know. Bird feeders are a good place to start. Sucks. It sucks. It's freaking, it's going to keep getting worse with uh, climate change. I know. Yeah. It's basically like COVID for birds. I know. And zoonosis. Like the spread from animals to humans is just going to keep getting so much worse. They did say that like it hasn't posed dangerous to humans yet, but there was one guy in the UK who who uh, came down with the avian flu because he had close in 
what did it said something like he had like close enclosures with ducks or something i was like what does this guy do like does he just live with ducks in his house i was very confused but he was his all of his ducks got sick but he didn't get that sick like he tested positive but didn't have sickness but yeah there is still a chance that this avian flu strain will mingle with human flu strains and then we're gonna have some kind of crazy shit going on Oh my god! Like a pandemic? What would <laughs> no pandemics? That'll never happen. Yeah, and then you just two years in go. Well, we're done. Good job, everyone. Way to go! Hey, do you ever see that movie Contagion? Yes. Who was it? Is it Cameron Diaz who's the first patient zero there or whatever? I don't know. I, I don't know. Never asked me about a movie I've seen. I don't remember movies. Uh, have you seen Zoolander? Yes, I have. Yeah, I'm sure you could tell me everything about you later. So that's true. <laughs> I'd rather talk about that than Contagion anyway. That movie was so bad. Jake and I, so Jake chooses a lot of shitty 80 movies to watch. And he'll ask me before, like, we pick a movie if I've seen one. And if I can tell from the cover of the movie, it looks like shit. I just go, yeah, I've seen this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. You've made me watch some really, like, some of the more frightening movies I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Deer Hunter. You made me watch. You also made me watch The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. Didn't know what that movie was going to be about till I was sitting in the movie theater. And that gave me nightmares. Yeah, I think this was like a week after, too, where you were like, I hate sad movies. And then <laughs> <laughs> you want to go see a Holocaust film? You want to go see oh. a sad movie? Oh, my God. I think you were so mad at me because you cried in the movie theater, which like I it just. I would cried in the movie theater too, but I think yeah, but I think I like ugly cried. In the movie yeah, you were really mad. Spring is in the air, and the birds are getting it on. So naturally, we're thinking about woodpeckers. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't read that before I wrote it, did you? No, I didn't. That's amazing. You know what's funny? It's like this whole this whole title of this episode about Flicker. I hardly know her. <laughs> that. I think that was one of the first episodes I ever came up with when we talked about doing a podcast. Like, I think I have a note in my phone from what was it, 2019 or something, where yeah. I'm like, Flicker, I hardly know her. Yeah. Like, you were really proud of yourself for that one. <laughs> I was. And it's finally seen the light now, three years and later. And here we are, three years later, and you make another good woodpecker joke. I'm very <laughs> proud of you. I'm so freaking proud of you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So since we're thinking about woodpeckers, we decided to lay down a few fun facts about these super cool birds. The first one is their tongues are weird. The tongue of a woodpecker is usually about twice the length of their bill, enabling them to reach inside the holes they peck out of wood to get the insects. So what happens when the tongue isn't in use? It curls around the back of the head between the skull and the skin. So gross. Yes, insanely gross. Woodpeckers also have nostrils that are covered in feathers, which keep splinters and dust out while they peck away. Kind of genius. They also, they're so adapted, have thick skulls which distribute shock well throughout their whole bodies, meaning they don't get concussions or likely feel much pain, even though they are hammering away at such hard surfaces sometimes exerting up to a thousand G's of force each time they peck, which can be 8,000 to 12,000 times a day. I don't, I can't even fathom that. Like I cannot fathom that. Do you know, I would die if I had to work that hard for my food. Like I just wouldn't, I don't think I could do it. 
I also I don't think, think I could. You physically couldn't do it and you would get a concussion. And no, uh, I did. I got a concussion playing touch flag football in college. <laughs> like I'm pretty, I'm a soft skulled bean. Doesn't work for me. I'm a soft skulled bean. Uh, Another fun fact about our woodpecker friends is that their eyes are protected by a special membrane that prevent them from popping out of their sockets while the bird is pounding away at the wood. Also, did you write in pounding away at the wood intentionally to make me read that? No. I'm just joking. No. Okay. It sounds like you would have, but anyways, that's crazy. Also, ow, like to think about your eyeballs popping out of your sockets, but Another fun fact about woodpeckers is that the skull bones have a different chemical composition and density compared to other birds. Their skull bone is very thin and there is less fluid that separates the brain from the skull bone than in other birds and animals. This suggests that the skull has adapted to be harder and yet tougher at the same time. These birds are just, I don't know. I actually wonder like how they came to be. We don't have to get into that now because I don't have any even remote idea about that, but like what a weird evolution to become a woodpecker. My brain is trying to think of. Okay, cool. Yeah. I couldn't tell if your video was frozen. <laughs> if you were no. deep in thought. My brain was, I was deep in thought about the evolution of a woodpecker. Cause you've got to think there was like one bird mm-hmm. that like had a slightly sharper beak. I can't even think about it. It's like when you look at like old English family lines and then the ones that inbreed a lot just start to get like weird chins and stuff. It's kind of like that. They did that with the with the birds. But with the birds. Yeah, inbred birds. There are over 230 different woodpecker species in the world, which means we had a hard time narrowing down our list of just a few in North America. But we did because we care. So without further ado, let's talk about some woodpeckers. So our first woodpecker is the northern flicker. Northern flickers are unusual among the North American woodpeckers in that their general coloration is brown rather than the black and white we generally see. Their light brown bodies are covered in black scallop-shaped spots. A black crescent resembling the shape of a bib sits just above the breast. Light gray covers the back of the head and a red little shape adorns the nape. If all those markings weren't cool enough, these birds also have an extra set of colors in their wings when they fly. Um, Those found in the eastern U.S. will have a yellow coloring, while those found in the west have a red coloring. To differentiate the sexes, um, males have a black mustache running from their beak all the way to the edge of their cheek, and the females don't. They also measure at a size of about 12 inches, which compared to the pileated woodpecker who measures in at 19. You can find them in woodlands, forest edges, and open fields, as well as city parks and suburbs. I see them in my backyard all the time. I saw like six of them today. They're so cool. I love watching them fly. Oh, they're they're the cool. I freaking love northern flickers. They mainly forage on the ground, which makes them unique for woodpeckers. They eat insects, ants and beetles, and will also eat fruits, seeds, and other things like that, especially in the winter. They often go, well, obviously they peck at the ground, but they go for ants. Ground peckers. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's fine. Um, and one flicker's stomach was found to contain more than 5,000 ants. What? Oh, oh, that's so gross to me. That's I know. So Isn't that shit of nightmares? Mm. If someone was like, 
you're going to go in this bin of 5,000. Oh, no, no. I really think ants are like a phobia of mine. Like I like swarms of ants are one of the scariest things to me. Oh yeah. No. Especially if you have fire ants. Like, no, like literally any kind of, like just the word ant. And like, I feel my whole body, like, like tingle, like mm, 5,000 ants in your stomach. I don't even think I can fit that many. I'm not going to, I'm not going to think about that. Maybe I I don't want to. You don't want to. It's also important to note that their tongues can dart two inches beyond the edge of their bill. Unlike many woodpeckers, flickers often reuse cavities that they or another species have excavated in the previous year. Um, They use these for nests, which are generally placed 6 to 15 feet off the ground, and both sexes will help with the nest excavation. The cavity, like, so it's like a little cavity and it widens at the bottom for the incubating adult and eggs. And one cool thing is that when the nestlings are about 17 days old, they just like start clinging to the cavity wall rather than lying on the floor. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. Isn't that kind of adorable? Like you like peeking and they're like, ah, (laughs) ah. They are widespread and common. I know we both just talked about seeing them, um, but numbers have decreased uh, by an estimated 1.2% per year since 1966 to 2019 for a cumulative decline to 47%. Uh, They are listed as a species of low conservation concern, though. I imagine you see these number decreases for a lot of birds that aren't invasive species. Yeah, but you know, it's crazy that it's declined 47% and it's still considered low concern. Like one, it tells you how prolific birds really are, but two, I don't think there are like a ton of other bird species that really could survive that amount of losses. Yeah. Well, so partners in flight estimates a global breeding population of 12 million. So why they're They're ranked nine out of 20 on a continental concern score, which is still kind of high, but it's a low conservation concern still. I guess they're doing a lot of flicking. They're super cool birds. I always get excited when I see one. I just wanted to remind you that you said you were going to try to find things to say besides cool birds. Oh, shit. (laughs) Because you re-listened the last episode and you're like, I called every bird cool. Also, listener, you should know that like we listen to our own podcasts. Whenever we're having bad days and we go back and revisit our favorite episodes, it makes me so happy. I know, because I usually just start laughing again at how dumb we are, and I love it. The moon degrees was one of our better moments. Especially because someone in sixth grade emailed us about it. (laughs) Yeah, we forgot to talk about that. (laughs) They were like, Google it. Oh God, I loved it. That's so good. It was the best email. It was the best email. So happy. It really did. Oh, I love salty sixth graders. All right. Next on our list, we have the yellow-bellied sapsucker, which I chose only because it's always sounded like an old-timey insult to me. And I think it's so funny. It is so good. Yeah, it's good. Uh, The yellow-bellied sapsucker is common in the northern and eastern parts of the U.S. and is known for drilling small, neatly spaced rows of holes in trees. So, like, it's a really distinctive drill pattern. If you see it on trees, that's usually what caused it. It then returns these holes later to lick out the sap and any lingering bugs that ooze out of the sap wells. Perhaps not surprisingly, this is why it has the name sapsucker. What's a little more surprising is that their bellies are not as yellow as I'd like them to be. (laughs) 
Uh, the birds look like a lot of other woodpeckers. Like they've got spottish black and white bodies with black and white striped heads and then like a little bit of red on them, uh, red on their foreheads. And then the males also have red throats. So the little tiny, barely yellow patch of feathers at the uppermost part of their wings near their necks is where they get the yellow belly part of their name. We can do better, but I'm glad it's not named after a person. It's fine. The yellow-bellied sapsucker is one of the most migratory woodpeckers in North America and is the only one in the eastern U.S. that is completely migratory. If you look at a, a map of their wintering zones and their breeding zones, there's hardly any overlap between where they spend their time. And since they are such fans of sap, you will typically find them on birch and maple trees, but they will tap into more than a thousand different species of trees and wooded plants, which is pretty did cool. You, did you write they would tap into more than a thousand? <laughs> so I would laugh at it <laughs> no but i should have they would tap that a thousand different times a thousand different trees types oh no but i'm proud of myself though for putting that in there i'm proud of you now i'm oh now i'm gonna feel weird every time i talk about drilling holes but okay <laughs> it's, it's fine it's fine <laughs> When the sapsucker finds a tree that they like, they will return to the same tree and drill new holes either in the same line as the old holes or above the old holes. Can you imagine describing your holes as new and old? <laughs> oh, oh, my this is my new hole. This is my new hole. This is my old hole. Oh my God. It almost sounds like I'm saying ho. Like, my my <laughs> new ho, my old ho. And these are their new and old holes. <laughs> we made it really far this episode before we just totally lost it with the innuendos. So I'm actually really proud of us. I know. I'm really proud of us for being adults for like 45 minutes because it's <laughs> not even 10 o'clock and we've lost it. Really proud. Really proud. One other thing that I really love about these birds is that they help out another one of my favorite birds, the ruby-throated hummingbird. The sap wells that are made by yellow-bellied sapsuckers are also used by a lot of hummingbirds because the hummingbirds will come and also feed from them. In some parts of Canada, ruby-throated hummingbirds rely so much on the sap wells of these yellow-bellied sapsuckers that they time their spring migration with the arrival of the sapsuckers. Not quite codependent, but like we're getting there. That is very cool. That is awesome. Thrifty hummingbird species. Which is a better word than cool, but, you know. Cool. (laughs) Cool. All right, Sarah, let's hear about our next bird. So our next bird. And a great adjective to describe it. I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind. I can't wait. Go ahead. Take your time. Think of one. (laughs) The glamorous red-bellied woodpecker Mm -hmm. is the sleek, round-headed bird um, and is about the same size as a hairy woodpecker, but without the blocky outlines. Uh, they're pale with the bold black and white striped back and a flashy little, um, nape that is red. Oddly enough, the red-bellied woodpecker is named for its least distinctive feature, which is a very light coloring of like a red pink on its belly that you can rarely see. And you're probably thinking, why isn't it named for the freaking bright patch of red on its head when there's barely any on its belly? I literally think that every time I see one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But it's because the name of the red-headed woodpecker was already taken by a related, less common species that actually has an entire red head. 
They couldn't come up with anything else and decided to name it based on a small spot in its stomach. Maybe they could have called it the red-capped woodpecker. How about the psychedelic zebra bird? Have you seen the black and white striping on its back? That's like us, kind of like a psychedelic zebra. <laughs> kind of like a lot of woodpeckers. I know. I don't know. I tried. I tried. Um, so they are found year-round in woodlands and forests. Um sometimes in your backyards as well, across the eastern and Midwest U.S. Though this bird mainly eats insects, uh, it will also eat a bunch of plant materials and is also kind of an omnivore. Um, They'll eat like acorns, nuts, pine cones, and occasionally lizards, nesting birds, and even minnows. Lizards. Yeah, I I guess I... I said lizards specifically, but I've seen a lot of lizards in the eastern U.S. Oh, yeah. I guess maybe if you're in, like, the Carolina to the south, but whatever. All right. Moving on from that. When nesting, males will choose the site and begin to excavate and then try and attract a female by calling and tapping softly on the wood around or in the cavity. Oh, God. Oh, wait. (laughs) I definitely... This is cute. But I definitely read that he would tap the wood around or in her cavity. And so I got a little, I definitely read it wrong. (laughs) I was like, oh God. Mo's getting too horny reading about birds. Oh man, I guess so. He's tapping. And then when she accepts, she taps along with the male and helps put the finishing touching on the nest cavity. Oh, that is cute. Also, I would totally be one of these birds because both parents put in the work to incubate the eggs and the males often take the night shift. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That signed me up if I was a bird. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Another cool thing about this bird is you may occasionally see them flying quickly and erratically through the forest, abruptly changing directions and alighting for instances and immediately taking off again. Um, scientists categorize this odd behavior as a type of play that helps young birds practice evasive action they may need one day. Oh, isn't that fun? That's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. I really like that. So that is the red-bellied, barely red-bellied woodpecker. It's not like the worst name out there, but it's always so deceiving. Every time I see it, I'm like, that's a red-bellied woodpecker. No, and every time I see it, too, I'm always like, did you know the name red-headed woodpecker was already taken? So they called it a red-bellied woodpecker? Man. I don't know. I know. I feel like woodpeckers kind of, I don't know. There's there's some work to be done. <laughs> not the most important work in the naming world of birds, but... There's some work that needs to be done. Uh, This bird, though, I think this bird is well-named. This is the golden-fronted woodpecker. This beautiful bird can be found in the U.S., in Texas and Oklahoma, but is also found through the Yucatan Peninsula, including Mexico, Belize, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, and northern Nicaragua. As a result, it can be very difficult to tell apart from the Yucatan woodpecker, especially since they share territory in that region. But the golden-fronted woodpecker is the more common of the two. It also has a larger body and a longer beak, should you ever be lucky enough to be where you can ID one. You will definitely notice this bird when you see it. It has striped black and white wings, similar to many of the other woodpeckers we've talked about, a light gray body and head, and then it has this super bright, like golden yellow patch of 
feathers on the back of its head and on its throat and at the base of its bill. And males will also have a beautiful red crown and a yellow forehead. So it's like, it's like unlike any other woodpecker that we normally see in like the Eastern Midwest, you parts of the U S it sounds amazing. It's, it looks amazing. I picked it cause it's amazing. Not that these other birds aren't amazing, but this one's pretty good. But this one's amazing. But this for, one's for, cool. This, this bird is damn cool. Given its more tropical habitat, the golden-fronted woodpecker consumes almost as many fruits and nuts as it does insects. In fact, some of the woodpeckers in Texas will have their faces stained with purple from eating the fruit of prickly pear cactus in the summer months. Unfortunately, Texans were not a big fan of these birds back in the early 20th century because they drilled holes into telegraph poles, which is... Whoops. Whoops. Telegraphs. Sorry. And as a result, many of them were shot, but luckily the population is stabilized. Audubon describes the bird as being common, noisy, and conspicuous, which I really like. Those are like three great words to describe a bird. Perhaps a little unexpectedly, though, it's closely related to the red-bellied woodpecker. These two species aggressively defend territories against each other where their ranges overlap in Texas and Oklahoma, and sometimes they interbreed. Maybe that's how to get the woodpecker. It all comes full circle. Pegging that wood, the rock Pegging wood. <laughs> yeah, I know. Golden, the golden redded bellied woodpecker. And it would be like all white. <laughs> We're not a name birds. <laughs> We're qualified. Yeah. We can do it. We can do it. I mean, well, we didn't even cover all of the woodpeckers because there's like 350 species, like you said at the beginning. Uh, yeah, I think I actually said there were like 230, but. You said the 5,000 different species that exist around the world. <laughs> That's true. You're right. There are birds, and these are some of them. That's how we should start the episode. <laughs> we're going to talk about five. <laughs> I love this episode. I don't know why it took us so long to talk about woodpeckers. It seems like it should have definitely been something we covered right away, given our personality traits. I was going to say, we do talk about woodpeckers in every episode. <laughs> hey. You also did say 2.30, and we've only been speaking for an hour, and I screwed that up. So Worst things have happened on this podcast. Well, thank you for listening and tuning in to Bird Shit. We, like we said, we are hoping to get new episodes out. Uh, apparently, we're releasing episodes every other month. This is news to us. <laughs> but this is how it works out in our lives right now. Uh, you can try to find us on Instagram at birdshit podcast. We probably won't respond. <laughs> no, I check it sometimes. Oh, good. I deleted Instagram from my phone last fall. Sometimes I'll just lie in bed and try and answer stuff. And then I'm like, no, Sarah, this sounds too much like a work email. And then I have to close it. Best Sarah. <laughs> Best regards, Sarah. <laughs> Uh, but please if you if you want to drop us an email hellobirdshit at gmail.com we do love getting the emails and we are getting better at responding to them too because that's easier than getting on instagram i guess that sounds God, i feel like getting old i feel like i can send my work emails non-work emails via email but if i instagram someone and use the term best regards fuck me <laughs> worst regards <laughs> worst regards ever <laughs> to sarah my friend does um, endometriosis research, and we were talking about how best was seen as passive aggressive. And she was like, I'm just going to start signing them off for where I am at in my period cycle <laughs> on day eight. On day eight, Sarah. <laughs>
bleeding, Sarah. <laughs> I love that. Oh, ovulating, Sarah. Ovulating. Sincerely ovulating. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Bye. Yeah, I know. I was trying to think of what else to say, but bye is the only thing to say. Oh, no, okay, wait. Say, we always say keep your oh. eyes to the skies. Oh, my God. It's been so long. I forgot our own catchphrase. I know. It's okay. Keep your eyes to the skies, pizza pies. Get some fries. French fries. Oh, you were supposed to keep the... Come on, keep going. I know. I was going to say bang some guys, and I was like, I don't want to give anyone that advice. <laughs> and then I was going to say, in your eyes, eyes. the light, like the heat, the, the moon, your eyes, incomplete your eyes.